one of the executive producers for Pass the Mic. Because we're going to be talking about our relationships to Asian American identity and issues, I'm going to let everyone on here know that I'm Korean American. Hi everyone, I'm Hannah. I'm a freshman and I am Vietnamese American. I am also one of the EPs along with Miss Phoebe Kim. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, anti-Asian rhetoric and discrimination has been on the rise in the United States. The increase of anti-Asian racism has sparked discussions on how we can address this. When talking about racism directed towards Asians, it's necessary to discuss the model minority myth and how it relates to Asian American identity, which is what we will be talking about in this week's episode. The model minority myth is a set of stereotypes that label Asian Americans as a hardworking, intelligent, and inherently socioeconomically successful racial group in the U.S., giving them the title of being a model minority. At a surface level, this stereotype may seem positive, but it actually does more harm than good. Today, Phoebe and I, your new EPs, will be diving into the problems with the model minority myth. Sociologist William Peterson popularized the model minority myth in 1966 to specifically drive a racial wedge between Asian and Black Americans. He argued that family structure and a cultural emphasis on hard work helped Japanese Americans overcome discrimination and achieve success in the U.S. But his argument excluded the histories of other groups of Asian Americans like Chinese Americans, who he didn't think were model minorities. He also ignored the context of the 1965 Immigration Act. This act in particular reversed decades, well, I'm using that term lightly, it reversed decades of policies that banned immigration from Asia, allowing a greater number of Asian immigrants into the U.S. But people often forget that all of these immigrants were highly educated professionals and scientists from specific areas of East Asia. These educated Asian immigrants were able to rapidly make it and live the American dream, which set the scene for the model minority myth and its stereotypes. One of the problems with the model minority myth is that it masks many struggles faced by the Asian American community and depicts all Asian Americans as a monolith, a group of people who are all viewed as the same. There is not just one character and personality profile for all Asian Americans. The community encompasses a wide range of diverse individuals, making it impossible for an entire racial group to fit into a single mold. Yet the stereotypes persist. Asian Americans are seen as inherently successful, intelligent, wealthy, and obedient individuals, who are, quote-unquote, living the American dream. According to the Pew Research Center, income inequality is defined as a measure of the economic gap between the rich and the poor. From 1970 to 2016, the income inequality gap between Asian Americans has increased significantly. This is because the immigration and ethnic histories of Asian Americans vary greatly. For instance, some East Asian immigrants might have immigrated through the 1965 Immigration Act, in the context of employment, whereas some Southeast Asian immigrants might have immigrated in the context of fleeing war. The American dream is a deceptive narrative that claims that financial success can be achieved as long as you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work hard enough for success. This narrative convinces many immigrants that life here can be better, and maybe it can be, but immigrants of color who are often seen as foreigners are offered less support governmentally and communally than white immigrants. The American dream deceives people into believing that working below livable wage jobs and getting exploited for cheap labor is worth it. 
if it offers you slim possibilities of making it. It reinforces false narratives of capitalism and meritocracy, that if you work hard enough, you'll make it, and those who don't work hard enough won't. Asian Americans are then painted as the model minority, hence the name, that does work hard and has made it. So all other racial and ethnic minority groups ought to be like them. And if these minority groups aren't, that's their fault. The model minority myth functions to drive a wedge between racial groups, specifically Asian and Black Americans. It's rooted in anti-Blackness, perpetuating a flawed and impressive comparison between Asian and Black Americans. The myth suggests that racism can be overcome by hard work and strong family values. However, this undermines and minimizes the significant role that centuries of structural and institutional racism has played on Black Americans. University professor Claire Jean Kim coined the racial triangulation theory to explain this dynamic. In the racial triangulation theory, Asian Americans are racialized relative to white and Black people. This theory involves two processes. One is valorizing Asian people over Black people. Because the model minority myth depicts Asians as hardworking individuals, they have closer proximity to whiteness than Black people. The other process is ostracizing Asian people. Whiteness perceives Asian people as forever foreigners and outsiders, while Black people are perceived as mainstream insiders. These processes then solidify racial stereotypes of Asian people as hardworking foreign invaders while simultaneously devaluing Black people as lazy or incompetent insiders. This is done specifically to pit these minorities against each other while whiteness and white people maintain their position on the top of the racial hierarchy. The model minority myth in relation to this theory only values people for what they can contribute to capitalism because they're not actually seen as valuable in the way whiteness and white people are, but they're only valuable in how they can uphold white supremacy. The model minority myth is a product of white supremacy that functions to maintain it. So when Asian people in America want to speak out against anti-Asian racism, we have to understand how to do this. Comparing the oppressions of people of color, specifically Asian and Black people, will not get at the root cause of racism. In fact, it maintains it. Over the past few months, there has been some advocacy against anti-Asian racism that has been anti-Black. For example, the Asian American news outlet Next Shark, along with other Asian Americans, were praising the New York Police Department's recent installation of 200 more police surveillance cameras under the guise of monitoring the recent rise of anti-Asian violence. But the increase of police surveillance will only hurt Black and Brown individuals more than it could help address anti-Asian violence. Another example is complaining that anti-Asian racism is normalized and people aren't showing up for Asians in the way they did for Black Lives Matter. Saying anti-Asian racism is normalized implies that racism against Black people and other people of color isn't normalized, even though it is. And by creating comparisons, we compare oppressions, which is exactly what the model minority myth does and what we shouldn't do. We can talk about the lack of Asian American support without comparing it to Black Lives Matter. Many Asian Americans believe that the Asian community faces issues that are somehow separate from issues of anti-Blackness, but that's not true. Asian Americans benefit from Black oppression and some perpetuate anti-Blackness within their own communities. If we want racism to end, we have to struggle for Black liberation. So now we wanna open it up to a discussion. For our discussion today, we have two of our very own audio producers to join Hannah and I. Our first discussion question is, 
How has the model minority myth played out in your life and in your experiences as an Asian American? Hey everyone, so it's good to be back on a Pass the Mic episode. Um, I know it's been a minute. Uh, I'm Amon and I'm an audio producer here at Pass the Mic and I am Bangladeshi American. Actually, it's kind of um, a coincidence we're uh, discussing this today because I just took a midterm on um, Asian Americans and the model minority. So it's actually kind of crazy. All this is fresh in my mind. So yeah, how has this myth played out in my life? Well, I mean, I mean, for stars, I think this is uh, the more obvious part um, that this myth, when it comes into a lot of people's ideas, it's typically East Asian uh, countries. So Japanese Americans, Korean Americans, Chinese Americans, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a look and, and a lot of people don't think of South Asian Americans, such as uh, Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis. Um, but, you know, we, we do have our own share of, of those stereotypes. Like, uh, I'm not sure if this plays into the myth, but that the stereotype where a lot of people are in IT are, are doctors and surgeons and whatnot. I'm, I'm from Detroit, so I looked a lot different than uh, a lot of these other kids. So it was really easy to be a target. You're like, oh, you know, you look like this, you're going to become this. And a lot of people, they they rebuttal with like, oh, you know, it's a compliment, right? You're going to be an engineer, but you, you never want to be judged uh, based on how you look, regardless of it, if it's like, quote unquote, good or bad, right? That's up to you. You, you be who you want to be. Yeah, I think for me, um, what you said, you know, resonates a lot. It kind of feels like this predetermined destiny that maybe you're supposed to fulfill. And I think with the model minority myth, because it is like a set of stereotypes, it kind of acts as like a criteria for Asian Americanness or Asianness. So growing up, like I thought that the model minority myth was bad. I thought because of all of these stereotypes associated with Asian Americans, I thought being Asian American was bad. So I did have a lot of internalized racism. I used to, and it's it's confusing because my response to the model minority myth and to being Asian American was to reject everything associated with Asianness. That kind of has given me a lot of racial identity crises because what is Asianness? Like to me growing up, that meant rejecting things like food, language. So you know, actively choosing not to learn because I'm I'm Korean American. Uh, for me, that was actively choosing not to learn Korean because um, I thought that would bring me closer to like my Koreanness, my Asianness. And it's so strange now because like lately, I feel like aspects of Asian culture or even just cultures of color have become aestheticized and trendy. So you know, now it's like cool to like those things, but growing up, it wasn't. But yeah, I feel like a lot of this has given me many racial identity crises where. I constantly wonder what does it mean to be Korean American or what does it mean to be Asian American? I feel like when you talk about Korean Americanness or even maybe in a broader sense, Asian Americanness, there's like this common theme or understanding of feeling like you don't belong. You know, you're too Korean for, or you're too Asian for like the white kids, but then like you're too white for like, you know, the Asian kids. Lately, I've had this identity crisis of like, it's like you you have this like desire to belong somewhere, but I truly think that you can do all these things like you can learn the language of like your your family like I could learn Korean I could start to like Korean food now as an adult I could like you know become more familiar with Korean pop culture and stuff but that won't make me more Korean 
literally anyone can do those things. White kids are doing that now, but that doesn't make them Korean. And I feel like no matter what I do, I won't feel like I completely belong anywhere. I think the consequence of coming to America and like being in America as a person of color is feeling like you don't belong. And I don't know. I guess I just wanted to say I I sometimes I think that like if I were to learn more and become more familiar with these aspects of it, that'll somehow make me more Korean as if I'm not Korean already. Just wanted to chime in really quickly. Um actually as you were um uh, pointing out that you didn't feel like you belong to either group i was actually going to mention a similar point that you know it's an interesting diaspora of of intersections right you have your asianness but you also have your americanness right your experiences here aren't invalidated but you're not living where your parents were from you're not experiencing what they experienced right so in in, in these asian countries everyone looks pretty similar it's it's not the same case as it is here. So what you get is like exactly what you're describing uh, that 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 unfamiliarity in either territory. I don't know how you know how to go about that, how to navigate that. I think all of us here are are learning about it in our own ways. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I will introduce myself. I'm Renu. I am a junior. And I'm a new audio producer on on um, Pass the Mic. Um, and I um, I wanted to respond to what Phoebe said um, about like viewing your parents' country or your your second kind of cultural identity as a monolith. Because I definitely do feel like when I would go to India, my parents are from India. I'm Indian American. When I would visit India as a kid, it would be very much through the eyes of American. I would stay within my family, but then like, for instance, when I would try to, you know, talk to my neighbors, it would be like, um, they're Indian and I am not them. I'm not, you know, I'm separate from them. I'm not really part of their culture, part of their identity. Yeah, something I wanted to add to is like, it's kind of weird and like crazy how like this one like myth can create so many different experiences I feel for people even though they kind of have like we kind of do have a shared experience of having to like I guess quote-unquote like live up to these stereotypes and personally when I was like in elementary school and middle school like I lived I grew up in very like white areas and I always felt that like I had to live up to these things especially when other kids would be like oh Hannah like you're really good at math right and I'll be like oh yeah like I am even if I sucked at it if they said like oh Hannah like you're super smart or like like aren't like all Asians really smart and like stuff like that I think growing up because I didn't obviously know about these things as a kid I like thought that it was true too that like every kid had to end up becoming a doctor or like I always thought that I had to like follow these things in order to be like cool enough for other people which really really sucks because I think it like took up a lot of my like time and like instead of like like coming who I could have been like becoming who I could have been I was becoming like what people wanted me to in a way and also um it took me a long time to realize that my parents don't actually force me like aren't actually forcing me to become like a doctor or like go into engineering or like go into like these stem fields and instead they're actually pretty supportive of like me kind of like doing whatever I think is best for me, which I honestly never really believed. Because again, even as a kid, like an Asian kid, I thought that every single Asian like has to follow these standards and like these like sets of rules. And like Phoebe was saying, like 
if I didn't have any Asian friends, I felt like I wasn't Asian enough. But then it kind of leads us into our next discussion question as to like, what does it mean to really be Asian enough? What like what is the criteria if there is any for like how people define who is Asian enough and who isn't? I, I think it's kind of I think it's really reductionist to to label it as are how do you know if you're being Asian enough? It's such a huge continent. You guys know how many countries are in there, right? So like when you're saying that you're Asian enough, there's just this whole blend of different cultures, languages, dialects, food. It's it's kind of astounding. I think I think a better question might be how do you define what your experiences have been through your background, right? Because my Bangladeshi background won't be the same as Phoebe's Korean background, right? Or Ramin's Indian background. It's all gonna have those tiny differences. I understand that like I'm I'm not like I'm not like throwing out the idea that we're not connected by this myth because we are, you know, literally we just talked about how it affected us. So um so of course we are. But like measuring quote unquote measuring our Asianness just depends on the person. It depends on how you feel about it, how an Asian American personally wants to express that. If if it means that they're really super into it, like so be it. If if it means that they're not like they, they know about their culture, but they're not like outwardly expressing it, then sure, go ahead. Or at least that's that's my take on it. Um for me personally. I just measure it based on how I'm I'm feeling about it, how and how my parents would feel about it. There's a huge uh, there's a saying that the we is more important than me, and I think it applies in a lot of Asian aspects. Certainly for me, uh, being Bengali, um, that the family is a little, really important. So it's important to me that my family, you know, still exercises a lot of cultural traditions, stuff like uh, you know just keeping the language alive, speaking our language. And you know that that might be really simple to some people like oh duh of course you're gonna talk in your native language with your parents but i i find that it's different in a lot of cases uh, i see families like they're like oh you know i'm not gonna teach my kids language um but for me personally I, I'm, I'm definitely gonna try and keep the language alive i 100 percent agree with that that's pretty similar for my family as well um my parents and I like speak in Vietnamese to each other. It's technically like my first language as well. And so I feel like personally and like the people that I've been around at least have always determined how like quote Asian enough people are by the things that they're interested in. An example that I was thinking about that I've talked to Phoebe about too is my cousin and how she's on board for like an Asian American organization at her school in her college. And the other members on like her board don't really think that she's Asian enough because she doesn't do things like them, like watch K-dramas and like she doesn't always go out to get like boba and like just like those things, like all of a sudden make her seem like more whitewashed, I guess, to some people. And I think it's a very, very negative mindset to have that like you're imposing this way that people have to be like on people in your own commit like community. And like it really sucks and also like at least growing up like I always like heard like oh like Asians like play the piano and like they can like speak their language and like eat their foods and like all this stuff and like the minute someone's like doesn't follow those like things like those like concepts and structures 
people call them like whitewashed or like oh my god they're just like an abb or like an abg and like stuff like that for those who aren't familiar an abg or asian baby girl is basically a stereotypical image of east asian girls who fit like a checklist of things for example having dyed hair always partying and drinking boba and so an abb or an asian baby boy is the guy version of that um like the stereotypical east asian who like among other things typically wears high fashion streetwear has tattoos and also likes to party and I think that it's just really negative to impose that on your own community because other people like outside of the, your community is going to think that's okay too, which obviously like is not okay whatsoever. Yeah, that's a good point. You you mentioned like when, when there's an Asian person that maybe doesn't conform to one of those stereotypes. Um, but I feel like there's also this like weird pressure to like, if you do play the piano or if you do you know or if you are good at math or if you are like an engineer or something like that how do you feel um I I I think this goes back to the the feeling of like you're you're like a monolith you're you're seen as kind of like this representative of your culture and I don't know I I always felt like that's a feeling that needs to be explored like when you are seen as you know the single representative of something um, by like you know white people or or any other type of cultural identity you're seen as like the single most person that can that can you know hold that up like for for example an example is like I grew up speaking Marathi or Hindi which are like languages where my my mom's mother tongue there would always be like you know people asking me like oh can you say this in that language can you say this in that like how do you say this you know that's it's it's very much a explicit example of how people view you as a as a representative of your culture. Those are really good points. So thank you for sharing. I mean, also just people coming up to you and asking you to like that's like fetishy. That's like some weird fetishy stuff. With all people of color in America, there's like a heavy culture of like fetishization, like when white people fetishize us. I, I kind of wanted to shift the conversation a little bit. I think it, I wanted to shift it to the like this conversation about the American dream. So I think because I think that pl- that that plays like a pretty big role in Asian Americanness, Asian American identity. I think when people think that they've achieved the American dream or comply with positive stereotypes about Asian people, it can seemingly uphold the model minority myth and validate it, which can be complicated. And we've sort of touched upon how complicated all of this can be. In some ways, Asian Americans who came from very little and then became socioeconomically successful should be acknowledged and their work and sacrifices should be acknowledged as well. But at the same time, what is the cost of this work? What, what cost does assimilation come at? Is assimilation even good? What do Asian Americans lose or hide to be seen as respectable in other words, what do they lose or hide in order to just be recognized by whiteness? I think a, like a part of it is dependent on like how people define like what the extent of like that American dream really is and like what that means to like different people, I guess. But I don't know. I feel like achieving that American dream is something that shouldn't really be like a mindset, I guess. I don't know if like this is very like problematic to say or anything, but 
the American dream probably will never be achievable just because there are so many things that like hold people back. And like I was saying with my dad, as much as he says that he is really happy, I know there are things that he wants even, even more, but there are so many barriers that are holding him back. But yeah, that's just like a, another whole conversation. So I'll pass it on now. No, thank you for sharing. Like I, you know what, because this is past the mic, I'm allowed to be explicit in my opinions and my beliefs. The American dream is not, it's bullshit. It's not real. It's a completely made up thing that is specifically used to lure people from other countries to work here and get exploited for cheap labor. It's not a real thing. And it's literally a product of white supremacy. But going back to what Hannah said about survival, my parents have had that same experience. When you immigrate here, you know, when you live in America as a person of color, you're constantly in survival mode. So you can't always blame people for playing into respectability politics or, you know, complying with like standards of whiteness in order to fit in. Cause you know, part of survival is fitting in, but at the same time, like it's horrible because so many people in America, like immigrants, people of color are required to make sacrifices that should not be considered sacrifices. And it's also just completely unfair that people should give up or hide parts of their identity in order to facilitate that survival. I don't think people, that's the thing. Okay, I'm also explicitly gonna say I'm anti-capitalist. Capitalism is also bullshit. I don't think people should be living to survive. People should be living to live their lives. No one should be in survival mode all the time because it is exhausting and it's unsustainable. For example, my dad immigrated from Korea to America when he was around nine years old. The moment he and his family stepped foot onto foreign American soil, everything was seen as dangerous and they entered this kind of survival mode. My dad usually says his entire life in America has been based around survival. But when you're so focused on surviving and you have obstacles that white Americans who have been here for generations might not face, you don't get to enjoy certain aspects of life simply because being an immigrant of color puts you at a sort of disadvantage. Because my dad immigrated as a nine-year-old, he's had to be an adult. He would manage his parents' taxes at a young age, translate everything for them. It's added a lot of stress that a child shouldn't have to experience, and it's impacted the way my dad has interacted with me and my siblings. I agree with a lot of the uh, the stuff you were saying, um, but but more importantly, um, I, I think you and Hannah touched on one thing that I really, really want, want to point out. The whole be compliant and be subordinate. That's 100% part of the model minority myth. A hundred percent. They it, it it was made to, and I'm gonna touch on my like class knowledge here for a second. <laughs> um, we had a uh, professor come in. Um, she also works at the university. Uh, professor Fruchtschart. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She had talked about like the origins where in like uh, post World War II, there were these fears that America or the U.S. was facing. Fear, fear of communism, fear of ethnic assimilation from African-Americans from civil rights movements at the time, and um, the fear of homosexuality and breaking, quote unquote, breaking the nuclear family. Um, and so to kind of aid 
in this or like try and fix it the model minority myth was created so that they could be like oh yo look look at these asians over here you know they're they're great and everything you guys should be like them subordinate and compliant so when you talk about the american dream also supporting that dude 100% if 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 i also uh, think that the american dream is bullshit cuz that's that's what it supports it's it's literally like yo to get what you want you got to sit down and be quiet personally you know it's that's what it's also had to take here right you you have to give some part of yourself up um i know before i mentioned language being a part of my culture uh a lot and a lot of families what what they have to do is give give that up i've i've seen examples of like families speaking solely in english and 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 solely forgetting their native language because you guys have probably heard the phrase like oh you're in america speaking english so so a lot of families especially you know it isn't it isn't the political climate that it is now when immigrants were coming in late 1900s early 2000s it was like that that was the in the social conscience you're in america speaking english yeah i agree with everything that you said i also think this sit down be quiet part of the american dream another thing that i always think about when i think about asian american identity is this fact that if you work hard you will get what you want you'll get what you deserve and that is so i've never thought about how deeply tied that is in with the american dream the the essence of the american dream like you said is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and ignoring the fact that there are different conditions that people are under and it's kind of assuming that everyone's on the same playing field when they're so obviously not and i think that's so harmful because it assumes everyone's on the same level but Asian Americans and you know other minorities and other vulnerable populations are so obviously not on the same level as white Americans who you know perpetuate the American dream. Thank you for sharing that. Um the whole idea of sit down and be quiet. I also don't want people who feel like maybe they have complied with that to feel guilty or bad. I think it's extremely important to also just acknowledge what you do individually matters but at the same time you're a product of your social environment if you maybe play into stereotypes or like let's say you're with your friends and like you just want to fit in your friends are white and you're not and like your friends make like a really racist joke that's not cool but like i understand the pressure and how hard it can be to speak up especially to people who are supposed to be your friends and call them out on being racist. I think growing up if you know, I've probably been in that situation before, but like I wouldn't yeah, I I don't know. It's like a lot of these things aren't solely an individual's fault. They're systemic issues. So I yeah, I I mean, I totally agree with you. In the face of like racist comments that are made to your face, I've had instances where I will months later realize that something was racist and i think a lot of people have that experience where like you think back you're like oh wait she said that about me and she shouldn't have said that that minimizes my identity in some kind of way and i think it's easy to get up and say for for you know activists or you know people who are kind of extroverted in that way just speak out against if somebody says something racist to you don't accept it you have to reject that but it's hard to do that in real life. It's hard to just 
especially if it's someone you know, like you said, Phoebe, if it's a friend that is making comments like that about you, it's hard to speak back against them. Yeah, I also think just going off of what you just said about how you're kind of expected to speak up when you experience racism, I also think sometimes it's strange because as a person of color, I feel like white people and even maybe sometimes other people of color expect me to know everything about every issue that will affect me as a Korean American woman. But I, you know, I think it's easy to forget that I, just because I obtained some, you know what, this is a good message for all the Asian Americans out there listening. Just because you obtain some sort of identity doesn't mean you're a spokesperson for that whole group of people. And I see this a lot, you know, when it comes to like different social issues, for example, there was like this story of this white girl who wore like a prom dress or a, a dress to prom. And it was like a traditional chi- like Chinese dress. And people, I, she like posted it on Instagram and I saw her post and people in the comments were saying stuff like, and it was Asian people saying like, I'm Asian, I'm not offended. All right. Well, just because you're Asian and you're not offended doesn't mean other Asians are not offended. And I, I don't know, I feel like that is like a common thing that happens with instances of racism against Asian Americans where one Asian American will be like, okay, well, I'm not offended. It's okay. That does not make what someone did okay. And also going off of something Randy said, um, I think that there are pa- like, I don't know how to phrase this other than say, I think there are passive ways to resist. I don't think resistance to white supremacy all need to be completely visible like there are passive ways to resist. It's not necessarily always standing up and like speaking out. You know, some ways of resistance, I think, are not shaming yourself. If you do happen to fit into stereotypes about Asian Americans, if you really like math, that's cool. If, if you're Korean, you speak Korean, don't feel bad about speaking Korean. I think when you're able to just accept the things that you like and you're able to accept yourself, for the way you are, I think that is a way to resist. The model minority myth is a dangerous narrative that comes from and maintains white supremacy. As Asian Americans, it's our responsibility to actively work against all forms of racism. Because we're limited with time, we couldn't elaborate as much as we'd want to on this issue, which is why continuing this education and learning beyond today's episode is crucial for everyone listening. There are many scholars like Professor Claire Jean Kim who elaborate on what we've discussed. If you want to support the Asian community, take time to educate yourself on how anti-Asian issues are connected to issues of anti-Blackness and other forms of racism. For more immediate forms of support, donate to mutual aid funds or funds of individuals that will support people of color. And remember, anti-Asian racism doesn't exist in a bubble. It's connected to other forms of racism against other people of color too. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and we'll talk to you next time on Pass the Mic.